Hello, friends. I'm so glad you can make it. We're here on our new Sunday evening Q&As. And today we're talking about Buddha nature. And why don't we dive right into it? So Buddha nature comes from the Mahayana teachings and um, having to do with uh, our true nature. So we could define Buddha nature as the innate potential of all beings to become Buddhas or the mind's innate potential for complete clarity. In English, that means that all beings have the potential to, become, to awaken, to become enlightened and to become Buddhas. Or as I like to say it, all beings have the ability to evolve. And so when we say all beings, we mean all beings. Buddha believes that animals and even the smallest of insects are on a, on a path to enlightenment. That's small insects. I guess if they're nice to other insects, they get a better rebirth and they could be reborn into maybe a better thing like a bird. And then maybe if you're a, a good bird and you don't poop on too many people, you could become a nice cat and then cat to dog, whatever the thing is. But uh, in Buddhism, they believe that these lower forms of sentient life evolve into the higher forms of sentient life. And oddly enough, uh, that's kind of the scientific uh, thought too, right? That uh, human beings being... Uh, one of the highest forms of sentient life on the planet. We believe that we evolved from very primitive uh, things and uh, into primates and then finally into human beings. So um, that, that sentiment is kind of mirrored in Buddhism. And I always thought that that was pretty uh, interesting. That makes it easy for rational people to come to terms with. Um, and so when we talk about uh, Buddha nature is the mind's innate uh, it means something that that a quality that we're born with that's there that that doesn't that doesn't need initial uh, development, right? That it's there. Uh, our initial, our innate potential for complete clarity. Here, by by saying complete clarity, they're talking about awakening or enlightenment or buddhahood and and this kind of makes sense because we often talk about how in buddhism you could break it down to the simplest thing that buddhism is just about right view and wrong view right view uh understanding that your true nature and the true nature of reality that right view that right uh, perspective uh would be considered complete clarity and and if you have right view you're a buddha and if you don't you're not so the idea is that we have ignorance at one end of our evolutionary spectrum, and we have clarity at the other end. And so as a species, we're moving from ignorance into clarity. And for me, this is really uh, absolutely true that uh, as I move, move forward, as I meditate on all these practices that we do, that really is the quality that we gain more so over anything else. I just gain so much more clarity on how I work and how my emotions work and how my environment works and how others work. And of course, with that clarity brings great peace. You know, when you understand how the game works, you're at peace with it. Anxiety of, uh, of not knowing what's happening wears away and you become comfortable. So uh, in so many ways, I, I agree with that. And I always say that the goal of meditation is objectivity and clarity, uh, no doubt about it, right? So um, 
And then we can understand Buddha nature on a deeper level. And the Mahayana was, Mahayanas will say, it's the emptiness of inherent existence of the mind. Now that's a big, heavy statement. The emptiness of inherent existence of the mind. And what they're, in, in uh, another way to say this is, it's understanding uh, your true nature understanding the true nature of yourself. And we're going to get back to this in one second, because the, we, we read this uh, at all the retreats. It's part of our affirmation of our true nature prayer or affirmation that we recite. So um, I'm going to clarify it there for us. Um, Buddha nature is often referred to as the essence of Buddhahood, or they say the, the womb of Buddhahood or enlightened essence, for without it, enlightenment could not be possible. Um, so in so many ways, I think my own translation to this is that Buddha nature is the capacity for evolution, the capacity for improvement, whether that evolution is physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, it's, it's that we all have the capacity to be a little better uh, than we were yesterday, right? To me, that's what Buddha nature is, that capacity for improvement, the word capacity. Buddha nature is that potential, right? That little spark that all sentient life has that allows us to grow and be more than we are. And um, Buddha nature sometimes I think sounds a little heady. Sometimes I think it sounds a little boring. And I think it's because people don't really understand what the topic is about. Buddha nature is really about our true nature. And we talk about our true nature all the time. So I think when you put it in those terms, Buddha nature gains great clarity. And I'm hoping to do that for us today. When you understand that all we're talking about is recognizing our true nature, then the whole concept of Buddha nature just becomes kind of academic. So in, in a lot of ways, I just would say Buddha nature is our true nature. It's the name for our true nature, Buddha nature, right? Okay, with that said, Buddha nature is posited to have two aspects. One of them is called naturally abiding Buddha nature, and the other is transforming Buddha nature. This is from my school, Sera Monastery in South India, uh, the Geluk, Tibetan Geluk tradition. Um, when we talk about naturally abiding Buddha nature, again, they're talking they, clinically on the debate ground, they would say the emptiness of inherent existence of the mind. But what that really means is your true nature, because the, our true nature is that it's empty of inherent existence. So I think that I think it's a kind of a, a, a backwards way of trying to make the point. I, I, I don't think that it has, it, there's no clarity in that statement. But when we say Naturally abiding Buddha nature is our, that true essence of, of uh, that potential, right, of, of what we are, our true nature, right? That's what it is. Now, transforming Buddha nature is a little easier to understand. It's one's qualities that can be further developed, potentially becoming the omniscient mind of Buddha. So transforming Buddha nature is those qualities that lead to Buddhahood, lead to awakening, lead to enlightenment, lead to liberation, whatever phrase you're comfortable with, but those qualities that can be developed towards that. And 
and oh my gosh, there's so many qualities. I mean, our goodness, our benevolence, our our kindness, our it's not just strong qualities uh, that uh, of Buddha. Our clarity, you know, there there are just so many qualities. In a sense, it's just all of our benevolent qualities our empathy, right, our generosity, all of these qualities that can be transformed and become greater qualities leading to awakening. So that's called transforming Buddha nature. Those two aspects are rarely talked about. So you don't have to uh, memorize these. So naturally abiding Buddha nature and transforming Buddha nature. When we talk about Buddha nature, generally we're always talking about naturally abiding Buddha nature. So we just call that Buddha nature. Okay, a minute ago, I said that I wanted to talk a little bit more about this, uh, the mind's innate potential for complete, uh, I'm sorry, for the emptiness of inherent existence of the mind. And if you remember, I'm going to put this on for you guys to see where am I? I'm over here. Let me do something here. I'm going to put this up for everybody to... These are my teaching notes, but I wanted you guys to see this. So this is our very common prayer. I say it every morning. I hope a, a bunch of you folks also do it in your daily prayers. It's the affirmation of our true nature. And Asha Gill is here. Lovely. Your video is off. Mine? We can't. Yes, we can't see you. We can see your shared screen, but we can't see you for the last five minutes. Okay, thank you for thank you for sharing that. Oh, there it is. I wonder. Sorry, sorry, world. I didn't know. I don't know if I if I bumped it or. Uh, yeah, so just for the last several minutes. Yes. Oh, five good. minutes for the last oh, okay. five minutes. Yeah. And anyways, my gabin was probably all you needed to really hear. Anyways. So nice to see you, Asha Gill. Thank you for joining us. So I'm back. Look at that lovely face. Oh, no sunshine while I was gone. Huh? That sounds like a song. <laughs> so, well, it's nice to be back with everybody. I am technically challenged sometimes. I'm a monk. You expect me to be able to push all these buttons and everything. God, I was hiding in a monastery for 10 years where all of you guys were learning social media. So uh, affirmation of my true nature, this lovely prayer that we recite, it's the first half of it that uh, really talks about what our true nature is. So again, I'd like to say Buddha nature is easy when you understand Buddha nature is just there. We're talking about our true nature and we're talking about true nature all the time in our classes, right? In all of our texts, our texts on goodness, our texts on happiness, we're always talking about our true nature, our, our text on a awakening through appreciation so that's a lot more familiar to my sangha than the word uh, buddha nature but remember buddha nature is this topic we're always talking about our true nature okay so i exist as a conceptual identity an idea so right away you see what they're talking about the emptiness of inherent existence that we're talking about that that uh, human beings exist in this way, though we have a physical body and we have a mind, uh, ourselves as, as an existing, as an identity, 
We exist upon those, but we're separate from those. And so I'll continue. I exist as a conceptual identity, an idea imputed upon collections labeled mind, collections labeled body, and collections labeled experiences. I am an ethereal and wondrous entity blessed with infinite potential and an unlimited capacity for good. These collections and identity are not static elements, but instead are dynamic processes existing interdependently in a state of constant and infinite change. So uh, as far as my writing goes, I, I put this together. That was my best version of, uh, of that, <clears throat> of what uh, our true nature is. Uh, I thought that th this describes it quite well. So as you can see here, our true nature is ethereal, right? We, we think of ourselves as so, so solid and concrete uh, and our body is, but what we, really, what we really are, the aspect of us that we really identify as us is ethereal. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a conceptual identity, merely an idea, a story. Now to some people, that sounds a little spooky. Anybody feel, feel a little spooked by that? And, and with the thought that, hey, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a conceptual identity. I want to be me. I want to be real. I want to go out with friends and drink margaritas and, and eat nachos. But the fact is, is that though it seems like we exist in that way, we don't, right? And so understanding your true nature <coughs> is what makes us awakened. That's what we awaken to, right? We awaken from our ignorance. We awaken from our wrong views of what we are and who we are. So when we awaken, we awaken to the truth of how we exist, the truth of who and what we are, the truth to our true value, our true potential our true nature, this is awakening. So when we awaken to our true nature, we're awakening to our Buddha nature. Oh, I thought that was lovely. I'm getting good at this, aren't I? So Buddhas posit our nature as, uh, uh, within scripture, they talk about our true nature is naturally good, compassionate, wise, joyful, possessing a shining contentment or a spiritual radiance, isn't that lovely, that arises from deep-seated feelings of well-being and goodness. This is what the Buddha talked about, what our true nature is, and the reason we uh, are separated from this idea of this is because of our ignorance. Because of wrong views, we don't see ourselves in this light, and it's because of our Shared human limitations, our favorite quote of the month, right? Our shared human limitations, our ignorance, our misunderstandings, our delusions, our qualities like greed and hatred, all of these human limitations that we all share. We all share the same human limitations. I can't say that enough, that you can't say, oh, this guy is really angry. Oh, no, we're all angry. He might be more angry than the rest of us. But whatever, wherever you're pointing that little finger of yours, saying this guy or this gal, you're pointing, that quality exists in you as well. We all share the same qualities, just in different amounts. 
And I make that point so strongly because when you understand that, you understand how connected we are. You understand how people are much more similar to you than you might think. And that brings compassion and empathy and makes you understand others and, and, uh, and uh, be more kind and more thoughtful, more uh, forgiving and understanding. So that's a, a really important uh, aspect to understand. Um, I know we have a few Eckhart Tolle fans here. I am a huge Eckhart Tolle fan. You all know Eckhart Tolle? Oh, a, couple, a couple of you do. Okay. Uh, he has this beautiful quote that I love so much, and I'd love to share it with you. Um, he says, when you know who you truly are, there is an abiding, alive sense of peace. You can call it joy because that's what joy is. Vibrantly alive peace. Isn't that pretty? So what Eckhart's pointing to is our true nature, right? And when you, oh, Pemeke is back on another device. So again, when we understand, well, he says, when you know who, who you truly are. Now in Buddhism, we supplant the idea of who you are with what you are, because who you are is an easy, easy answer. Who you are is whatever all the causes and conditions and parts and pieces of you come together at any given moment. That's what you are. So right now, it's just a big pot of stew on the stove, right? Whatever emotions bubble up with, with whatever mental states they're, they're hinged to and uh, what, what uh, you're doing in your life and all of those things come together, that's you. Whatever arises to the surface is you at that moment. It's always changing. Who you are is always different in every moment. So it's just whatever boils up to the top of that kettle is you at that moment. What you are is the, is the answer, is the question that Buddhists put so much time into understanding. And what you are, again, comes back to our prayer on uh, affirmation of our true nature. That gives us an, a, a, a piece, a little window into uh, what we are. Now, with that said, I'd like to add the caveat that that's what Buddhism asserts that we are, but we should be careful and not just believe things because we read them or because monks tell us them. Uh, I'm giving us the Buddhist perspective of this, the Buddhist presentation of it, but you should be a good student and question it for yourself. We don't know if they're right or not. It's, it sounds pretty right to me. I did a lot of uh, work on it and, uh, and put some logic towards it. I, I like it. That's why I'm a Buddhist. That presentation, I think, is spot on. But you yourself have to determine if that's true for yourself. Okay. With that said, Buddha nature is complex, I think, only because of one point, that it's it's interpreted very differently by very di by different schools. This becomes a bit of a problem. So um, I can't speak of the earliest known occurrences of, of the term Buddha nature and what they believed. I, I, uh, I haven't done that research, but um, at least from the Tibetan Buddhist point of view, uh, there's uh, Buddha nature became something more than scientific or more than rational. And, and some of the schools of, uh, of Tibetan Buddhism 
uh, looked at Buddha nature as being a mystical quality. And they would talk about things like uh, the concept that you're already a Buddha uh, and don't know it. And all you do is have to, you have to strip away those shared human limitations. And once you get rid of that, the Buddha is there underneath it all. And uh, that's a very popular idea. And uh, it almost, it almost gives uh, the idea of Buddha nature a magical quality, like some form of karma that you're born with some kind of magical karma that will turn into a Buddha at some point. And uh, I'm afraid that my school of uh, Tibetan Buddhism, the Gelug school, and of course the great, uh, the great scholar Lama Tsongkhapa disagreed with this thought. And, um, and the reason is, is that, uh, when somebody becomes, it's asserted that when somebody becomes a Buddha, uh, once their mind is purified, you can no longer fall back into delusion. Once you reach a certain point, you can't fall back. You can't become unenlightened. Once you're enlightened, that expansive mind cannot be stuffed back into that box of samsara. So the idea is that once you become a enlightened, you're enlightened. So there is no aspect of us that in the past was enlightened and got covered over, that's rejected, or the thought that I'm enlightened somewhere inside me and uh, my limitations are covering up. And uh, so this quote of Tsongkhapa makes a nice point. Though the capacity for achieving enlightenment is innate within all sanctioned beings, enlightenment itself is not. And to me, uh, I found great clarity in this, and I thought it just beautifully said. Now, I can't say that this is the accurate view. There's different schools that have different opinions of what Buddha nature is. As a secular Buddhist, I like stepping away from the mystical or magical. And so, so I like the work of Tsongkhapa. Tsongkhapa does a pretty good job of it. So again, though the capacity for achieve, achieving enlightenment is innate in all sanctioned beings. We all, have, we all have the building blocks to get there. Enlightenment itself is not innate. Enlightenment has to be earned through diligent hard work. You gotta get it yourself. It reminds me when people come up to me when I'm, when I'm teaching and they ask me for blessings. And especially when I was in India, people would come up in parking lots and bow down, bless me, take my hand and put it on their heads. Bless me, bless me. And I don't, I didn't really, I don't really believe in such a thing. I don't believe that somehow I can, I can give my hard work to others. I'm, I'm a bit awakened. I'm awakening. Let's get the, the wording. I'm awakening because I worked hard. I, I, I did the studies. I did the meditation. I worked on myself. I did a lot of introspection. I have really smart friends and I had great teachers, whole bunch of stuff, but it was a lot of hard work and it, it still is, but it's a joyful work. So I love it. But I, there's no way for me to just kind of magically hand that to somebody else. So I used to tell these people, I say, yeah, you got to do the work yourself. You can't get a quick uh, shortcut from me. Go out and do the work yourself. And if you remember, that's where the, our, uh, our, uh, our kindness meditation, our kindness prayer comes from that. Uh, I use it as a blessing telling people maybe well, maybe prosperous, maybe well, uh, 
may be free of past regret and future. I'm giving them instructions, practice instructions, other instructions for enlightenment, right? So I snuck in. So when people ask me for a blessing, I sneak in a little instructions for them to get to work. Ah, so uh, that's the approach that I, I like. I like Sankaba's approach that, yes, even the smallest of insects have a, a capacity somewhere for enlightenment. It might take a long time if you believe in rebirth. Of course, a lot of this idea of evolution of species through, through, through multiple lifetimes is dependent on a belief on rebirth. I believe, I hold a belief currently in rebirth, but I, most, a lot of my friends don't, no problem. But the thought is still there. Um, but uh, so I could also surmise it in another way and just say that Buddha nature is just about pointing out our true benevolent nature that underneath all our craziness, all our, underneath all our mental and emotional baggage, underneath our raging at somebody on Facebook or in road rage, underneath all that crazy stuff that we do is a civilized human being who's <laughs> wonderful and kind and good, right? Buddhism posits that. Uh, I remember when I was a Catholic boy, Christianity told me I was a sinner. I was a sinner. And you'd, and I could say to the priest, I said, well, I haven't really done that much wrong. And he says, oh, no, no, it doesn't matter. You were born a sinner. You're born in the sin. So you always went right from the beginning. And I really liked it when I became a Buddha and I found out that it was really different. The Buddha, Buddhism posits the opposite. Buddhism posits that you're this lovely, pure person. You're just kind of, you have all this uh, all these limitations, evolutional limitations that get in the way. So I like the analogy of uh, uh, dirty windows. So, you know, we're, we're dirty windows. So the nature of, uh, of a window glass, right, is clear and translucent. It lets the sun shine through, right? It's ethereal. It's lovely, right? But it gets dirty, right? So we're kind of born with like our, we're a pane of glass, but we're kind of dirty at the beginning. And the spiritual path is just getting out your cloth and starting to clean that window. And you don't have to have it every, every single piece scrubbed clean to let light through. You know, as you scrub it, as you get some of the dirt off, light starts to shine through. You get a benefit from it, right? But as you go along in spiritual practice, you're getting it cleaner and cleaner until, oh, it's almost complete. You don't even see the glass itself. It's completely ethereal and, and translucent, transparent, and just the sunshine and beauty just shines through it all. So I like kind of that analogy of us. The other one, probably Ellen knows this one, they always talk about, it's like a glass of dirty water. You know, the more you stir the glass and you keep the dirt going around, the, the water stays muddy. And of course, the stirring is our crazy uh, minds that won't stop thinking and plotting and scheming. That's the straw, the, the stir. <clears throat> but if we can, we can stop the stir and we let the glass sit, all the mud sinks to the bottom of the glass and the water becomes perfectly clear, pure water, right? That's another really nice kind of uh, thought. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then we have another uh, 
uh, prayer that we said, we, we said our, our prayer of the affirmation of suffering. And um, this is another one I hope that all of you say every day. It's a very powerful practice. I've mentioned this before that this prayer is a prayer of samsara and enlightenment and uh, samsara and nirvana. I'm not sure if, if everybody's caught on to that. Uh, the first half of the prayer tells us why we're in samsara. The second half of the prayer tells us how to get out of samsara. So it's it's a quite a it's quite a powerful piece. But here I want to concentrate on the second part of this because this is talking about our true nature. So through realizing the ethereal nature of my identity, I realize the ethereal nature of my vulnerability. Through realizing the ethereal nature of my vulnerability, I realize the ethereal nature of my problems. Through realizing the ethereal nature of my problems, I realize the ethereal nature of my suffering. So in English, we could say, by understanding my true nature, by understanding my Buddha nature, um, by, un by understanding the true nature of my identity, I realize the true nature of my vulnerability, which is fear. Through realizing the true nature of my vulnerability, I realize the true nature of my problems, the problems that arise from that fear. Through realizing the ethereal nature of my problems, I realize the ethereal nature of my suffering. So this shows us how um, understanding your, your true nature is what, uh, is, is what changes for us to have a mental state of samsara or nirvana. I didn't say that very well. Understanding our true nature dictates our state of mind, whether we're in samsara or nirvana. I did that one better, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that is what we're talking about, folks. <clears throat> and again, I'd like to just uh, bring it all together and again, talk about when we're talking about Buddha nature, we're just talking about our true nature. Do you remember in our classes on uh, appreciation, awakening through appreciation, our practice, our practice of shining? Do you remember how we were really getting into our true nature and talking about, you know, what, what exceptional, wonderful beings we are, you know, that every, within appreciation, when you get into stillness, when you learn to abide in stillness, you start to realize the miracle of every moment that you exist. That in this moment right now, none of us have to exist. Nobody promised, there's no guarantee that any of us needed to exist right now. It's a miracle that we're all here together, right? When you realize that miracle in every moment, this is understanding your true nature. It's understanding how you how you exist, how you uh, how you as an entity exist. That you know, it, it, you, when you realize the miracle, the wonder of of your own existence, you know, when you when you realize that all of the problems that we have are just these superficial limitations that we all share, but that can be removed. When you realize that nature that's underneath it all, our true value of what wonderful, wonderful species we are, what a wonderful people we are. And when you understand our potential, that we have so much we can do with our lives. This is understanding our true nature. This is Buddha nature. Our true nature is our Buddha nature. 
How about that, everybody? And it's question time. How about if we pause the recording? We get better questions and answers when we pause the recording. <laughs> 